You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. Good morning. We're doing a series that uh, is really uh, an all-summer series, I think, I knew to begin with. It would be uh, June and July, and I'm thinking now it's probably going to go into uh, August. But we're doing a series that's entitled, Jesus Said It. And kind of the premise of doing a series with that title is for us to recognize that Jesus really, when he was here on the earth, said some very... Uh, earth-shattering, life-challenging, life-changing things that I'm afraid sometimes we recognize or we know that Jesus said these things, but at the same time we fail to allow what Jesus said to impact our lives as they should. It's like we understand Jesus said it, we know He said it, but we fall short of it having the impact that it should have in our lives. And of course, the reason it should have a great impact in our lives is this. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the second part of the triune God. So when Jesus is speaking, what you and I are hearing are the very words of God. That's why we should concern ourselves about whether or not we are really listening to what Jesus says and applying what He says to our lives. I mean, to give a little bit more picture of that, the, the fact of our topic today is this. Uh, Jesus said, it costs to follow me. In, in other words, there will be some individual cost in following Jesus. And to give a picture of that a little bit clearer, if you have ever read things like Fox's Book of Martyrs or just heard stories about even missionaries in this day and time, there are people who have sold their homes, sold their possessions, left everything to go and follow Jesus. Now, I'm going to say this several times because I don't want someone to go away and say, well, I visited over day three and that crazy pastor told me to go sell everything and, and follow Jesus. I'm not saying you will have to do that, but I'm saying you might have to do that if Jesus tells you to. That we need to have an openness in, in our hearts and in our lives to do what Jesus calls us to do. There have been multitudes of people who, in following Jesus, have paid the cost of persecution, have paid the the cost of being in very dangerous situations and dangerous places. There have been people from the time that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, took his life back up, from then until this day, there have been people who have actually lost their lives in order to follow Jesus. And we're going to recognize today, hopefully, that there's still cost involved in following Jesus because I'm afraid maybe in the modern-day American church that what we have done is make it sound like it is easy and safe to follow Jesus. Now, let me qualify that. 
I'm not talking about your following Jesus being steps that get you to heaven. We receive forgiveness of our sins and eternal salvation from God. When you and I recognize and admit to God we are sinners, we cannot save ourselves, and we recognize that Jesus paid the full, once and for all, eternal price for our sins on the cross. And when we trust in Him by faith, that's how we receive eternal life. What I'm talking about is the cost of following Jesus. See, saying yes to Jesus and understanding you're a sinner and feeling that need to trust in Him, that's so simple that even a child can do it. We're going to see some children baptized. But what I'm saying is on the other side of you and I becoming Christians, there's some cost involved that Jesus dealt with full well in His day and time when people came up to follow Him that we'll see today that I'm afraid sometimes we don't stress enough in our modern-day American church. I, I just believe there's more to follow in Jesus than you and I being good little Christians, and we show up on Sunday, and we carry our Bibles, and we sing some songs, and then we go away and put our Bibles up, and we go away unchanged and unchallenged, and we go away and we come back the next time next week just to go through the motions again. Afraid we've made it a little bit easier than what it really is and portrayed that and not being truthful as Jesus is truthful to people that there are costs involved in following Him. Look at these words. Matthew chapter 8. Now when Jesus saw a great crowd around Him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up to him and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever. That's a pretty big word, isn't it? Wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another person come up, another of the disciples this time said to him, Lord, let me first... Go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And then there's another guy that comes up later on in Matthew to Jesus. And Matthew doesn't tell us it's the rich young ruler. Other gospels do. But it says, Behold, a man came up to him, to Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he, Jesus, said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm wondering if Jesus was on a roll and the man interrupted. I mean, we're not told that, but that's not all the commandments. You understand that. And then this young man says, all these I have kept. I'll deal with this a little bit fuller later in the message, but I'm, he's either deluded or he's lying, you know? And Jesus said to him, if you'd be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great riches. 
We'll try and learn about three main lessons today to help us understand that there is indeed still, I believe, cost in following Jesus. Jesus confronted these people who wanted to follow him with the reality that there's some cost involved. And I still believe there are costs involved for us to be disciples of Christ. I'm not talking about for you to become a believer, but for you to be a disciple, for you to be a follower of Christ, there will be some cost involved. Here's lesson number one. Following Jesus involves more than just seeing what you can get out of it. Following Jesus involves more than just us kindly doing it so we can see what we get out of the deal. I mean, if I follow Jesus, if I go to church, if I read my Bible, if I pray, you know, if, if I do these things, what do I get out of it? And, and that thought really comes from the, the background of what's taking place in verse number 18. Let me read it again for you. It says, Now when Jesus saw a great crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. Do you understand that almost flies in the face of what we would expect to happen? I mean, Jesus is not about playing up for the crowd. He, he wasn't about just, you know, doing what he could to be popular. In, in contrast to maybe what some, you know, Christian celebrities may do in, in this day and time, Jesus was not just about trying to get as large of a crowd as he could to follow him. This will come back in a little bit later in the message, but, but Jesus was interested in, in committed followers, not just casual followers. Now remember who Jesus is. He's God in the flesh. Those in the crowd, Jesus could look deep into their heart and into their mind. And Jesus fully understood at this point in time in his ministry, a lot of people were following him for the wrong reason. They were following him just to see the next miracle. They were following him just to get the next meal, the next multiplying of the fish and the loaves. They were following him for the wrong reason. It was more like, let's see what I can get from Jesus. Let's see what I can get out of the deal by following Jesus. See, there are other instances of this in the Bible. Look at the next verse. Matthew 14, 22. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. See, that's almost the opposite. You, you, you can't expect Jesus to say, all right, we're leaving. All of you come and go with us. But what had happened previous to this, Jesus had just multiplied the loaves and the fish. And he had a huge group of people that wanted to follow him, but it was for the wrong reason, and Jesus knew that from looking into their heart. When can I get my, my next Happy Meal, you know? When can I get my next bag of fish and chips? When can I get my next meal? When can we see the, the next miracle? What, what can I get out of it? There's another verse that tells us something really similar in John Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Once again, God in the flesh, he knows what's in their heart. They're about to come and take him by force to make him a political leader, to make him their king, and hopefully they'll be set free from the Roman rule that was there. 
And Jesus is king. And Jesus shall be the king of kings and the Lord of lords forever and ever. But he was not ready to become king the way they wanted to make him king. Jesus had a cross in his future where he would die for our sins. He wasn't ready for some crowd to come pandering to him just because of what they could get out of it. See, Jesus, right before this happens, had just fed the 5,000 men. We don't even know how large the crowd was because it said 5,000 men plus women plus children. So Jesus had just fed them, and he understands in their heart they're following him for the wrong reason. So Jesus tells the disciples, you know, all right, you know, we're, we're going to pull away from here. And he, he told them to go away. And he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. It almost sounds exactly the opposite of what we would think. See, up to this point in time in the ministry of Jesus, following Jesus during this point of his ministry was a pretty popular thing to do. But as you follow the ministry of Jesus, and as Jesus more and more and more made it clear that being his disciple, that being a follower of him involved some huge commitment, the crowds started to get smaller and smaller and smaller. As Jesus clearly told them things that almost sounded crazy, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be my disciple. (laughs) And they started to stop following him. And then, as popular opinion started to turn against Jesus somewhat, because of the plot and the plans of the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and and even the government, and things that were starting to take place. And now all of a sudden, you know, Jesus isn't that popular anymore. And Jesus is being confronted by all these hard questions by the Pharisees trying to trick him. And the crowd's starting to pick up on some things. And it gets to where it was pretty unpopular to follow Jesus. In other words, there are a lot of people that wanted to give him Lip service, and this term will probably come up a couple, three times today. Lip service and not life service. Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but I've got other things I've got to do first. And, and, And Jesus, knowing what was in their heart, knowing they were just giving him lip service, they weren't ready to make that type of commitment, Instead of, instead of encouraging them, he, he withdraws from them, helping them, challenging them maybe to understand that following him, being a disciple of his, is not that easy sometimes. We live in a similar day because following Jesus can, you know, make people look at you weird. You know, all of a sudden you're a fanatic. Uh, I don't know why we're scared of that term. Look it up sometimes. It just means sold out. I ought to be a fanatic for Jesus. So should you. You recognize we live in a culture today that it's okay for everything else to be out of the closet except Christianity. And our culture wants to push Christianity underneath. Instead of being in the forefront of our culture, let's, you know, so there are all kinds of people walking around in their closet Christians because they're trying to hide their faith. See, our, our problem is, I'm afraid today, is that we've made, it, we've made it too simple, too non-threatening, too easy 
to be a follower of Jesus. And, and it's like we're looking for what we can get out of it. What entertainment can we get? Man, what neat songs will they do today? Or maybe the pastor will tell some funny stories. And we fail to understand that Jesus made it crystal clear that being his follower would have some cost involved. See, just, just maybe, just maybe, Instead of following Jesus being about what I can get out of it. Just maybe following Jesus ought to be what he can get out of it. The one that died for me. Just maybe there ought to be some things that he ought to be able to get out of my following him. Just maybe the focus ought to be what can he get, not what can I get. What can others get, not what can I get. Because you see, that's central to the great commandment. Look at it. Look at what's said in the great commandment. Next verse is, you shall love the Lord your God with part of your heart and part of your soul and part of your mind. Is that, is that your translation? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And then notice what's right next to it. And second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So maybe this thing of following Christ, instead of it being about what we can get out of it, ought to be about what he can get and what other people can get. There's some cost involved in following Jesus. It involves Following Jesus involves much more than what we can get out of it. Second lesson is this. Following Jesus will affect your comforts in life. Following Jesus will affect your comfort in life. There, there will be some things that you will experience in following Jesus that might be very uncomfortable. And, and we don't tend to, to convey that. I, I'm afraid we, we, we've got a pipe dream Christianity maybe that we present to people in our American church today, and even to our young people, our children as they're growing up, is that you trust in Jesus and everything will be good in your life. Now, Paul got his head chopped off. Peter's crucified upside down. <laughs> and we're telling people, all you have to do is trust in Jesus, and man, everything's going to be a cakewalk. You know, everything's going to be wonderful, everything's going to be smooth going. When Jesus clearly tells people here, they're coming up saying, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. He said, wait a minute, time out. You need to understand there's some cost involved first. You need to understand it will cost you some comfort in your life. Look at verse 19 and 20. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever. There's that word again I pointed out. T tell me how you completely define wherever. I mean, if you start in the direction of wherever, when do you get there? Huh? When, when does that end? Where's the climax point of, of wherever? To teach off all you wherever you go. Man, that's a huge, big statement. Then Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere. To lay his head. A scribe is, is someone that most of the time would not have been a fan of Jesus. Scribes, a lot of times, they, they were teachers of the law or interpreters of the law. And in Jesus' day of ministry here on the earth, a lot of times they were standing in opposition to Jesus. 
But, but it seems like that, that this scribe maybe has some things figured out a little bit, and he understood who Jesus was. So he comes to Jesus, and he said, I'm willing to follow you wherever. But instead of being quick to invite him to follow him, Jesus kind of puts the brakes on. And he says, you need to understand some things. You see, here's the mindset that we have today. If someone comes and tells us, I want to follow Jesus, you know what, we're queen. Oh, great, come on, let's do it. You see, part of that is we so want to see people follow Jesus, but I think we're falling short in failing to tell people there's a commitment that's required to be a disciple of Christ. There's following Jesus, not just walking an aisle, but following Jesus as you live your life that's involved in being a follower. Not talking about just believing in Him, being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus. There's a commitment level. See, our mindset, Jesus responds almost opposite of what we'd expect. Our mindset is almost one, would Jesus be running over to him and embracing him and said, thank God, you won't follow me, let's go. Instead, Jesus confronts him with some things. It's like Jesus is saying to him, well, you know, sure, come and follow me, but you need to be aware of some things. It's like he's given a challenge more than an invitation. Jesus is kind of communicating through all that we're talking about today that he, that he wants committed followers, not just somebody that's a casual follower of him. And Jesus tells him, you need to be aware of something. Animals have places to rest in this world. But Jesus is saying, I don't, and by following me, you don't. Now we might say, well, that was true back then. I submit to you, it's still true because the Bible tells us in 1 Peter, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. And if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, and if you're a follower of Jesus, yes, we might have a residence here in homes that we live in and things like that, but that's not really our home. Our home is there. And that needs to be our mindset that if we're going to follow Jesus, that's really my home, not here. And regrettably, we're so tied up in our modern-day culture that we live our lives and waste most of our time in this out here instead of being focused upon following Him. Jesus said, foxes and birds have secure places. Foxhounds are out after the fox, and, and the fox can find a log to climb in or a hole in the ground or a crevice in rocks or something like that and feel like there's a secure place. But Jesus is saying if we follow him, we may not have secure places in this world. Instead of being really secure by following Jesus, it might get outright dangerous for us to follow Jesus. You see, that flies over our heads because we've never been persecuted in America the way the church is some other places. But I am warning you up front, if you let our culture continue the way it is, there may be people in this room that have to lose their lives simply because you say yes to Jesus. Birds have secure places. They build the nest up in the trees so we can't mess with them. It's easy. They've got a place of security. 
But Jesus looks at this person and says, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. This scribe, and he's letting him know, following me instead of giving you security in this world might make your life insecure. You may have dangers in this world by following me. Instead of it being safe and easy, it might be difficult and dangerous to follow me. But that's not the message we convey a lot. You know why I'm afraid we're scared about losing the crowd? Jesus didn't seem to worry about losing the crowd. He was okay as long as the ones that followed him were committed. And maybe we're so scared in America that if we communicate clearly to people that there may be cost involved in following Jesus, that people will go the other way. I want you to notice something really ironical here in this passage of Scripture. Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. That term is one of the favorite terms, titles, that Jesus used of himself. It's the Old, it's the Old Testament of, equivalent of the Messiah, or saying that he's the King, that he's God in the flesh. So when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, that's what he's saying. One Old Testament instance of this phrase being used is in Daniel. And there Daniel said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, speaking of God the Father, and was presented before him. Giving us a pre-incarnate picture of Jesus as the Son of Man. Now here's the irony in that. Jesus as the Son of Man, God in the flesh, the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, said, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. And if the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God in the flesh, would say, I don't have anywhere to lay my head, who do we think we are to refuse to give up our comforts, even our hobbies, even the way we use our time, who are we to fail to give that up, to refuse to give that up, those types of things, in order to follow Jesus? Here you've got the one that created everything. He's the Son of Man, and he's saying, look, a lot of stuff I don't have while I'm in this world. That's a pretty ironic statement to me. And then we as his followers act like we shouldn't have to give anything up to follow him. When he gave everything up so we could follow him, he left heaven and lived in this earth, and was persecuted, and beaten, and abused, and crucified, and buried, and he took his life back up again, all that, so we can follow him. And then we come to him like, well, you know, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but I won't do that, and I won't do this. That, that costs me too much. In order to follow you. A few weeks ago, when we started this series, uh, some of you remember it quite well because your backsides are still sore. I'm sorry. <laughs> some of you that are visiting since that time, you're wondering, what is he talking about? They line people up and spank them or something? We pulled all the chairs out of the worship center except just enough chairs for people that really needed it. Because we wanted to give a little bit of a picture of what it might be like in a third world country where people don't have the creature comforts that we have here, but they worship God anyway. 
And they don't sit in a floor for just an hour. They sit there all day in worship under the threat of arrest in home churches that they had to sneak in and sneak out of and stay there all day and study the Bible and pray and cry for hours on their face before God. And we get upset in America if the message goes over an hour. And we've got air conditioning and padded chairs. So that was just kind of an illustration for us. Just, just maybe we, we need to be willing to give our, our comforts up to follow Him. If, if we're willing to follow Him like we should, and this is what Jesus, I think, is conveying to these people that come up to Him and say that we want to follow you. We need to be willing to, to, to put aside some worldly security. I think Jesus was kind of telling you know, this scribe that comes up and says, I'll follow you wherever I go, that he might have to give up some security in this world for eternal security over there. Then he might have to give up a, a home here for a home over there in order to really follow him. If you follow me, you need to be willing to lay aside some of that worldly security. The word follow that's used here in this text in the Greek is a compound word in the Greek. The first word is just the letter A in the Greek, and that means first. And then kaluthos in the Greek means a road, or to be in the same way with, to accompany. It was even used to describe a disciple. But when you put this together as a compound word, it is saying the first thing in our lives as a disciple the first thing in our lives as a follower of Christ ought to be for us to get in the same road that Jesus was in walk the same path that he walked and follow him now initially you know when you hear something like that and and think oh I'm going to get in the same path and be on the same road with Jesus and follow him you might get a little pumped up you might think it sounds cool until I start to remind you that means it might lead to a cross It might lead to your comforts being gone. It might lead to you having to sell everything you own and go and follow Him. That doesn't sound as cool as it did, does it? But that's literally what we're called to do as disciples, to be the followers of Christ, to to get behind Him and walk in the same road, in the same way, to be in the same way that Jesus is. All I'm trying to tell you this morning is that we need to count the cost of following Jesus. Following Jesus is not always easy, and it's not always comfortable. It'll have great cost and sacrifice at times. It may cost us rewards or security in life. You may find following Jesus cost you popularity. You may find following Jesus will cost you some friendships or some leisure time or some treasured habits that you have. It could mean that he tells you to sell everything that you have and go to some foreign land and follow him. I'm not telling you that you have to do that unless he tells you to do that, but I'm telling you that every believer needs to be willing to do whatever he tells us to do. He has to be first. It involves more than just walking an aisle. Following Jesus involves walking through life with Jesus. Which brings us to our last lesson this morning, our last truth. And that's this number three is this. Following Jesus involves putting him first. Following Jesus involves putting him first. We're going to see 
two more individuals. One was this man that said, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, but I need to go bury my dad first. And the other is this guy known as a rich young ruler. Matthew 8, 21, another disciple came to him and said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. You don't mind underlining your Bible, you might want to underline let me first, because that's the issue that's taking place here. Let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. That almost sounds harsh to us. Like Jesus is just being unrealistic or being heartless. Dead in, in the Aramaic, which Jesus, by the way, was speaking here as opposed to Greek, in this part of the New Testament, when he said this, can be translated, let the die and bury the dead, or let the spiritually dead bury the dead. In other words, Jesus could be saying this, let those who have not made a commitment to me bury the dead. You need to be about following me and giving life to other people. There's actually some biblical precedence for something like this because in the Old Testament, a high priest or someone that had taken a Nazarite vow, they were not allowed to touch a corpse, even the corpse of their own parent. Later on in Jewish tradition, they had a rule that said this, if you're a student of the Torah, if you are studying the Torah, which is their Bible, if you're studying the Torah and there's already sufficient people over here to take care of the funeral... You keep studying the Torah because that's more important than coming over here and taking care of the funeral. Now, we live in a day and time that that just sounds completely wrong almost to us, completely radical. But listen to what Jesus said. There's another text here that said, Now a great crowd has followed him, and he turned, and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters. Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He can't be my, my follower. And whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple, cannot really be someone that's sold out following me. You see, we read that, and, and it just kind of blows our mind because in our culture, we, you know, we're taught to love family so much. And Jesus isn't telling you to go be mean to your spouse. Jesus isn't telling you to be mean to your children. The, the, the point of the message is this. The point of what Jesus is saying is he has to be first. I feel like, and you know, I hope some more of you would argue the point with me that I'm not, that you are, you know. But I, I, I feel like I love my wife as much as anyone in this place. And most of you know we've been married 35 years. Just celebrate that recently, you know, through her. You know, God bless us with three kids, and I, and I love my wife, and I want to grow old with my wife. But as much as I love her. Jesus has to be first. I love my kids probably more than they'll ever figure out. But as much as I love my kids, Jesus has to be first. And, and that's the point of what he's conveying here. The cost of discipleship, the cost of following him is that, is that Jesus 
must be first in our lives. We, we need to have our priorities right. The cost of discipleship is putting Him first. See, really, the, the primary issue is what's going on in this man's life. It sounds like a realistic request that he's making. And, and in ancient times, it was like a sacred responsibility in, in the Jewish life, you know, to, uh, to, to, to bury your, your parent, to bury your dead father or your dead mother. But a lot of Bible scholars feel like the way this is worded, when you look at it in the original, implies that the dad's not dead yet. In other words, this man's coming up saying, I want to follow you, but I'm putting a delay. I'm putting the brakes on. Jesus, I really want to follow you, but I've got a pretty good excuse right now. I'll wait and follow you after my dad dies and is buried. He's not even dead yet. Well, a lot of Bible scholars feel life's taking place. It's just like the guy's coming up with excuses. And you see, that's our problem, isn't it? All the time... We can come up with excuses that we think let us off the hook. Excuses that allows us to put something else in our priority list ahead of Jesus. We can come up with all kinds of reasons why. You know, let me first do this. Let me first do that. He even comes up with the right words as he's talking to Jesus. And he calls him Lord, which means, you know, to show respect to him or talking to someone that's in supreme authority he's using the right words he says lord you know let me i'm going to follow you but let me first bury my father and the word first means firstly in place time or importance so what he's really saying is this and see that's why jesus keys in on it jesus is keying in on the word first what he's really saying is jesus you're important but this is more important And that's what we're guilty of doing all the time. Of saying, Jesus, I want to follow you, but this is important. It's really easy for us to do what I've already mentioned. It's really easy for us to give the, the lip service and not the life service to him. I don't know what all was going on in this guy's mind. It could have been just really, you know, a heartfelt obligation to go and bury his dad. It could have been that he was the oldest son, which also would mean this. He's waiting on the inheritance. Regrettably, sometimes it's all about the money in our lives, isn't it? Could have been that. It could have been he didn't want to go tell his dad, who might have been in poor health at this time. We don't know. But maybe he didn't want to go tell his dad, Dad, I'm gone for right now. I'm going to go follow this itinerant preacher and just go wherever he's going. It could have been other reasons that he didn't want to pay other costs. But whatever it is, he was coming up with an excuse. And that's why Jesus challenges him to consider the commitment. Jesus was keying in on that word first. Jesus wanted this man that said, I want to follow you, but first let me do this. Jesus was calling him to what a first priority ought to be in his life. I mean, be honest right now. Jesus understood their first, their second, their thirds, you know, on down the list. Regrettably, most people, I'm afraid today, put Jesus and whatever God's will is somewhere less than first on their priorities. What's on the top of your to-do list this week? 
I mean, just start out every day that you need to follow Jesus, that you need to be reading your Bible, you need to be praying, you need to follow Jesus. Is that first on your list? Or is it, well, you know, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, but I'm going to fit it in somewhere down here. I'm going to ease it in somewhere down here. Regrettably, sometimes I'm afraid we take this approach that we'll you know, follow Jesus after, you know, later. A lot of times I think people even take this approach. Well, Jesus, I'll follow you later, but I know after I start following you, I can't do some stuff I want to do now. So I'm going to go do this stuff, and then I'll follow you later. Another man came up to Jesus that also had his priorities all messed up. We've already read the verse, but look at it again, dealing with this rich young ruler. Behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do? I underline that for you because that's really the issue. The man is saying, what can I do? And here's the deal with that. That man cannot earn his own salvation, neither can you and I earn our salvation by obeying the law. He's focusing upon what he himself can do. What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, and I really kind of feel like Jesus is almost setting him up, you know? So, so Jesus said, all right, here's, here's a list. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I think I mentioned this earlier. If not, let me throw it in here again. You understand that's not the last of the, t- of the commandments. You understand that. So maybe this young man standing there, you know, all energetic, and Jesus starts naming those off. And then the man just kind of interrupts. Because there's some other things that Jesus probably was about to say that would have dealt with where the man's heart was. But the man just kind of jumps in and interrupts, and he says, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Let me jump off for a minute from here in the Romans, and then we'll come back to Matthew. See, the issue we need to understand is this. Nobody, nobody, nobody can be saved by obeying the law. Not even the reason for it to start with. You think Jesus didn't know that? He's the one that wrote it. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified, be made just as if you've never sinned, be forgiven. That's what he's saying. In his sight, in God's sight, you can't be justified in God's sight by you obeying the law. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. You see, the law was never sent to think, all right, I've got a stairway to heaven, I'll climb up myself. The law was sent for us to read and for us to be broken and say, oh my God, I'm in trouble. I am bankrupt before God. I am lost for God. I don't have a hope because I can't live up to that. I've already broken it. Before somebody gets self-righteous and says, well, at least I'm not a murderer. Or an adulterer and stuff like that. The Bible also says if you break any one part of it, you're guilty of all of it. So no one can be saved by obeying the law. Back to Matthew. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, 
You see, and here Jesus is centering in on his heart. He knows what the issue is. If you'll be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And when Jesus said that, because Jesus knew exactly what was in the young man's heart, the Bible said the young man heard this, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. See, here's the deal. Instead of being interested in God, he's really interested in his goal. Instead of being interested in God's priorities, he's interested in his own possessions. And Jesus understood that. Because you see, this man that said, I've kept all the law, there's some other things as he faced the law that he needed to be concerned about, like thou shalt not covet. And I think Jesus was probably heading there with it. And you shall have no other gods before me. And yet this man loved his possessions so much, those things were his God. And because he loved his possessions so much, he just couldn't hardly accept or hear this message of go and sell, come and follow, go and sell, come and follow. It's like it was beyond what he could accept because his true priority and his true affections were somewhere else. And I think that's a huge problem for all of us in the day and time in which we live. Is that we have our priorities all screwed up. And on our priority list, we've got a lot of stuff that's above what God wants. That's above what His will is. And we've made it sound like it's easy and it's simple to follow Jesus. Instead of being like Jesus was, being honest and telling people it can cost you to follow Him. I'll reiterate something. I've had too much experience in the past year to say something, I'll say it once, and it's something that somebody might lock in on that part, and then they don't even hear the rest of it because they've locked in on that part. Don't you go away from here and say that I went to day three, and that pastor, that crazy pastor, told me I have to go sell my home, my cars, and everything I own, and follow Jesus. I'm not telling you have to do that, but I am telling you, you need to be willing to do that, if that's what Jesus calls you to. Because he may call someone here to do just that, to go and live in a foreign land in a dangerous place, to share the gospel. I'm not saying you have to, but I'm saying you need to be open to it. You need to be open to His will. That's what involves putting Him first. Jesus clearly said that it costs to follow Him. In Luke 14, He also said this, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. In your heart, it's your attitude, it's your heart attitude. It's that you're willing to renounce and turn loose of it all for Jesus if necessary and to understand that it costs to follow Him. That's what Jesus clearly says in this passage. It will cost us to follow Jesus. Following Jesus involves a lot more than just seeing what you and I can get out of the deal. I hope and I pray 
that this is never such a safe place that you can sneak in on Sunday morning and leave here and go away and not be haunted some during the week about your commitment to Christ. I hope and pray that for myself because I study the Bible to get these messages together and I want Him to always confront me. Not to where I think it's safe and easy and just go through the motions. I want to be confronted in my life. I want you to come to this place and actually be challenged and leave and go away and understand that there's cost involved in following Jesus. Thank God the gospel is easy to understand. So easy, these children that are about to be baptized believed in Jesus. But in with that, we must communicate in the American church today because we have so gotten away from it that it can cost you something to follow Jesus. Might cost you some comfort in your life. And the most important thing you need to understand from today's message is this. The cost of Jesus that he was so banging home and the heads of these that came up and said, I'll follow you anywhere you go. Jesus was saying this, I must be first. I saw as I talked earlier about loving my wife, loving my kids, I saw some of you kind of get glancy-eyed with me because you love your spouse, you love your children. Guys, you can't miss words in what Jesus said. Jesus literally said he has to be first in our lives. That might cost us some things. Let's pray. Father, God, I pray right now your Holy Spirit will be very active in people's lives and in their hearts and their minds right now. God, I pray this won't be just a, an, an, an average or just a regular invitation at the end of service, just a normal type thing we do. But Father, I pray you challenge us who already know Christ as Savior about our commitment in following you. God, are we just being casual or are we really committed to putting you first in our lives? Father, if there's someone here that does not know Christ as their Savior, Lord, I pray right now you'd speak to them and help them understand that your Bible tells us all of sin, and that includes all of us, and we all fall short of your glory. But your Bible also tells us, your Word tells us, that you loved us so much you sent your Son to die in our place on the cross and through faith in him when we quit trusting in ourselves we quit trusting our ability to do any kind of work that we might think is good and we look at ourselves as bankrupt before you and we trust and trust alone in the finished work of Jesus on the cross that we have everlasting life father there's someone here that's never done that help them right now to say yes to Jesus to take the first step 
Father, there may be believers here that have trusted in, in you, but for some reason they've never been baptized. Father, they need to take care of that. Father, I pray you deal with their heart right now and just help them to come up and follow these children after these children are being baptized and be baptized. Father, I really want to return to my heart and to the hearts of these others that are believers here. God, help us to honestly evaluate our degree of commitment to you. God, help us in the church in America to issue a call to people to where they will clearly understand following you will involve cost. Because at all cost, we need to put you first. Because at all cost, you bought us with your shed blood. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just a moment, the children will be coming in and be baptized at the end of, of, of this thing that we call an invitation. If you do not know Christ as your Savior and yet you felt Him deal with you today, please step out and come forward and let us know that. I understand today primarily the message has been to the church. And in and, and church, those of you that already know Christ as your Savior, if you have a lost friend today, they can honestly probably point at you and say, He's talking to you today. Because I was. And myself. Because I'm just afraid we are ignoring the fact it made it sound too easy following Jesus. Thank God we can understand the gospel easily. Amen? But following Jesus can cost us some things, and we need to deal with that honestly. Jesus did. And I want to invite you as believers, if you would, as the band plays, maybe you need to slip up here and just kneel as a believer and say, God, help me to be better at putting you first. Help me to get my priorities right and have you first before anything else. Please stand as the band plays. We invite you to come. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Basin Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at And for more information, find us on the web at daythreechurch.com.